This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Frustrating Podcast Podcast, where we break down and dissect simple podcasts and add complexity and polish. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. Today's podcast is an especially challenging one. I don't know if you heard of this show. I hope not. Stacking Benjamins? But this is a case of two people getting in way over their heads and needing serious help with polishing up their show. For this problem, they reached out to fame producer Bruce Dickerson. Let's listen in to Mr. Dickerson's advice. Hey, fellas. I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound. Fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> All right, man, we're talking about the Grateful Dead today. Dude. All right. What? Oh, it's estate planning? Well, that's even cooler. Dropping by the basement today to talk about becoming one of the Grateful Dead, we welcome Carol Weissman. Plus, in our headline segment, we're bringing the heat, baby. We'll talk about politicians and money first. And in our second headline, focus on a robot who's beating the stock market. Of course, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller and still leave time for my incredible trivia. And now... Two guys who think Jerry Garcia is an ice cream flavor, Joe and oh, j j j j g. 
I see that. There's there's like one letter different. Ch- mm. Cherry Garcia. Cherry Garcia. Whole different thing. Oh, our bad. Our bad. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday here at Stacky Benjamin's headquarters down in Mom's basement. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money. The worldwide headquarters of operations for the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai, and across the table from me for another Wednesday, it's Mr. OG. I'm not a big fan of the uh, cherry ice cream. I can I, eat some cherries on occasion, but, you know, fresh, don't put them in my ice cream. I have to be in northern Michigan at a place called Cherry Republic, and then I'm so happy to be there. But they're branding. Then you'll, then you'll eat cherry ice cream. Their branding's just spot on. You walk in there. Cherry like, pie oh, is good. Cherry pie is delicious. I'm I'm more of the Dutch apple pie with that crumbly crust. That's fantastic. Peach pie. One thing you don't want to get a crumbly crust on is your student loan debt. Don't get the crumbly crust on that. that, You really do want to have the crumbly crust on your student loans, but you don't want your student loans to be crusty. I got to tell you for the place to evaluate student loans, if you're getting ready to pay for the next semester of school, or if you're looking at refinancing those, the place to compare is student loan hero. They're the sister site, by the way, OG, of our Magnify Money sponsor. Head to Student Loan Hero for not just when you're ready to compare different funding options for school, but also to make sure before you sign on the dotted line of any student loan, you find out what the downsides could be. Because as you know, OG, not only taking out student loans can be absolutely horrible, but also if you're thinking about repaying this loan, all student loans don't work the same way. We had Leslie Tain on last week talking about that very thing. That's right. We're ready to go here today, man. We got a couple great uh, headlines. I'm all fired up about this first you one. You are fired up. I already know it. I am here it comes. So fired up. Bring the lumber. And we're talking about being one of the grateful dead. These are the most creative. If you've ever wondered how to get creative around planning your legacy, Carol Weissman knows all the ways. And if we're going to talk about legacy planning, she's the, she's got these fantastic stories. I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's uh, let's get rolling. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. We're not going to go into the political spectrum very often because this show doesn't do that. And I actually don't want to talk politics here. I just want to talk rational common sense from a financial perspective. And I also want to talk about what we're up against if you're trying to save in the United States. How's that for a beginning? All of a sudden, everybody, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on there, man. I just perked your interest. Yes. This comes to us from Napa-Net. Let's not get political because I I really don't think my opinion here is political. I just think it's going to show you. It's common sense. You have a common sense approach to... Wait, that is that does sound very political. Call me crazy. If everybody here listening to the show is a saver, I think I'm about to make a good point. But right. uh, Napa Net, National Association of Plan Advisors, people who, I mean, given they have an agenda, they run 401ks, pension plans, those types of things. Brian Graff writes this and says, another presidential candidate has proposed to pay for a campaign promise with a tax on retirement savings. U.S. Senator and presidential candidate Kamala Harris announced yesterday she proposed a financial transactions tax to pay for her Medicare for All proposal, specifically to tax stock trades at 0.2%, bond trades at 0.1%, and derivative transactions at 0.002%. Because derivatives, you know. (laughs) Because... 
<laughs> Why do we want to tax derivatives? Because of the three, those are the most common sense ones. So we got to go. make sure that we don't tax those. And yes, that's mm-hmm. twice the rate that's been proposed by other presidential aspirants. So by the way, this is not about Kamala Harris. If you're a Kamala Harris fan, she's not the only one doing this. As the piece says, other people have said this before. In the next paragraph, Brian writes, Harris claims to raise, quote, well over $2 trillion over a 10-year period to pay for her proposal through a couple of measures, including a financial transactions tax on stocks and bond trades, which, though it's described as directed at investors and big banks, would also include the investors called American retirement savers and the hard-earned money set aside in their 401ks, IRAs, and pensions. Nor is Harris the first presidential aspirant to seek to pay for a proposal with a sweeping tax on investment transactions, with no apparent exception for retirement accounts. Early, earlier this year, Senator Bernie Sanders co-sponsored for the co-sponsored the Inclusive Prosperity Act of 2018, claimed to generate up to $2.4 trillion to pay for a program that would underwrite forgiveness of student loan debt. Uh, Senator Kristen Gillibrand was a co-sponsor of the Wall Street Tax Act, which purports to raise some $755 billion over a decade to help pay for infrastructure improvements again by including the stocks and bonds held within the trillions of dollars of retirement savings invested every payday in mutual funds. and cl- Okay, this is obviously these guys have an agenda, right? They want to make sure there's not a tax on retirement savings. Let me tell you what I, the only reason I want to bring this up is this. We fight an uphill battle as people trying to save money in America. And that uphill battle, OG, is this. We, we just had a Fed rate cut. You know why everybody was excited about the Fed rate cut? Because the savings account went down. No, because my credit card bounced. No, hold on. You tell me. Because I, I know why. Because it makes it cheaper for people to borrow money, which means... Buy a bigger house. You can buy more using somebody else's money. Which if you, think of, if you think about that, it's ridiculous. We are spurring on the economy by making it easier for people to take on debt. That's how we spur the economy. And by the way, we've been doing this for so long now that, that you can't fog a mirror with people who are interested in Fed moves. Like it, it's, oh yeah, the Fed, the Fed. Oh, I heard that's a good thing that the Fed lowered rates. It is a good thing over the short run for the economy. But if you think about the implications, if you go five or six dominoes down, it's not Mm -hmm. a good thing. We are encouraging more and more people to borrow more and more money by keeping rates low. And at the same time that we're doing that, we're also, I mean, think about what you do with young kids. When Cheryl and I first met OG, you may know that we met as track coaches. There was a coach that I coached against who always, when he would get upset at his team, he would make them run laps. And I always thought that was pretty funny because I'm a track coach. You know what my first job is? My first job is to make sure, make, sure, that, make sure people aren't tired to run races. Well, no, I want them to love track. You should love running around the track. But when I'm using running around the track as punishment, and then I send my team out there to run around the track, pretty soon in your head, it's not a leap. Track becomes punishment. So my kids... When, must have been my track coach. That's why I don't run anywhere. <laughs> did your track coach do that? Did he make remember. you run? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I, he I, made us run, as in we were I'd, a track team. I never got that. If you're trying to encourage people to do a thing, don't dissuade them from doing that thing. So if we want more people to save money, why are we going to put a tax on that? Apparently, that's bad. On the other side, well, what's good then? 
Oh, the, I got all these tax forms where I can save a bunch of money if I spend more cash. Brilliant. And just so you don't think I'm after Democrats, because all this piece did was talk about Democrats on the other side of the aisle. We're, we're doing this to help huge corporations turn a big profit at the expense of Joe Sixpack's wallet. So this is not a Republican or a Democrat rant. This is just to show everybody again. Well, I think it's important to, to recognize a couple of things here. First of all, anything that is going on outside of your center of influence or control, you, you really have to pay very little attention to. I was very surprised a week ago when, you know, apparently the stock market went down a day and I got an email from somebody about the trade war. And I thought, holy cow, is none of this stuff sticking? (laughs) There's going to be companies that try to do better or worse. There's going to be countries that try to do better or worse for various reasons. People do different things at different levels of government that make you happy or not happy. But all of that is outside of your circle of control. So you have to just think about it from the perspective of, well, well, so what do I do with this information? Well, if all of a sudden you know, taxes are changing or this information is, uh, you know, interest rates are up or down. You almost have to swim the opposite direction. You almost have to kind of think about it from the perspective, what did they air quotes want me to do and what should I probably be doing? So instead of looking at it from the perspective of saying, great, interest rates are lower. That means I can finally get that vacation house I was looking for because I can afford it according to the bank or I can buy the new car or whatever, use it to your advantage. Use it for the purpose that it wasn't there for, which is now you've got a slight reprieve on your interest payments. If you have some credit card debt, use that to your advantage and pay that off that much faster. You know, use, use the extra cash flow to increase your savings. I would say like, seriously, I know a lot of times you and I talk about this, you know, you'll talk about something you read in the newspaper, whatever, I don't read any of that crap. Like I read like the headlines of the Wall Street Journal, like boom, 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 boom. That gives me like the broad brushstroke of what happened yesterday or what might happen today. If it's really important or something crazy is going on, you'll hear about it at the Starbucks line, you know, and I agree with you that so much of this stuff has turned, you know, unless you're for us, you're against us, you know, type of stuff. You're either, you're on one side or the other. When I think most people look at it and go, no, no, I think that this makes sense. And that makes sense. Why can't we have both of those? No, you're either for us or against us. Pick a side. You got to just take that stuff out of your life. I mean, just, just as a complete side note to money and all that other sort of stuff, you'd be completely happier. Well, and that's, if you you were, I don't want to say blissfully unaware, but being blissfully unaware about who tweets what or whatever is, you know, you just go, that's, I'm not paying attention to that stuff. And that's the bad news. We are still over a year away from the election. The circus has just begun to ramp up, has just begun. And the rhetoric's going to get worse. It's going to get uh, more. I remember whenever we got close to election time, people would come into my office and that's all they wanted to talk about was this yeah. stuff. That- what do you think if someone who's it wins? How do you think this? It doesn't matter because, again, whether you like, dislike, don't care, whatever. You can pick any presidential cycle since ever. And I guarantee that leading up to it, there were two sides of the argument, right? It was, if this person wins, it's going to be this. If that person wins, it's going to be that. And then something else might've happened, or maybe it came true. Who knows? 
the point is, is that a four year cycle of a presidency or an eight year cycle, you know, of getting elected twice is such a drop in the bucket in the Republic. And more importantly, it's a drop in the bucket in your whole overall plan. I mean, think about if you're 60 years old, how many presidents have you gone through? How much stuff has gone on in your life? Yeah, but there's an even bigger thing than that, which is you can't control any of that. Yeah, I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong. You can influence it. Go vote, right? You right. can talk to your friends. You can go vote. You can do that stuff. But spending all your time on stuff that you can't control and you can only barely influence and only in your little tiny community isn't nearly as important as the other thing, which is what, what I like about what you just did here was turned it into a what can I do discussion, which yeah, when, and it's and it's not what can I do is not I should trade differently or I should sell all my Chinese stocks or whatever. Yeah, because people are wondering right now, they're like, OK, so what do we do with this? My only point with bringing this up was to talk about how we <laughs> was was just to make the point that. We have been for a long time. This is not the first time this type of stuff has happened, by the way. Right. We live in a country, though, where it's easy to get into debt and it's hard to save. That's what you're up against. So good for all of you to hanging out with us, talking about this all the time. When it comes to your overall plan, though, start with an investment policy statement. People are wondering, what do I do with this? Create an investment policy statement. This is how I invest money. Any professional you work with who's worth their salt has an investment policy statement. This is what our plan is going to be. And you have that ahead of time. And then as stuff changes, you call your financial advisor. You go, hey, what do I do about this thing, this big thing going on in the news? They say, let me look at our investment policy statement. Oh, our investment policy statement says we do this. We do exactly this. Which is quite often nothing. Yes, which usually is nothing, which, by the way, is the great thing about having a financial advisor. And people have listened to the show for a long time. Now, I define a financial advisor much more broadly than a lot of people do. What I mean is you got somebody smart in your corner who's going to talk you off the edge, who's not personally invested in your goals the same way you are. Don't get me wrong. It's your money. But they're the one pulling you back going, hey, partner, let's let's get away from doing something stupid. Fantastic. Well worth the cash, which is funny because, you know, I mean, you hear these people online going, my financial advisor doesn't do anything. Well, we get together three times a year. We never do anything. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. You, you met fairly often. You, you, you talked about all the relevant stuff going in your life. You didn't change your investment policy. That's brilliant. You know what I'm seeing on online forums? We've had a couple of crappy weeks in the stock market lately. All of a sudden, I've got, oh, maybe I should diversify this VTSAX. Maybe I should diversify it. Maybe I should do more. That's the whole problem with VTSAX. It's not VTSAX that's the problem. It's you. You are the problem. You're the problem. You're just letting me go. I'm... I'm <laughs> Where's that, what's that meme with the, the guy drinking the coffee, just leaning back going, huh? <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> oh, I'm all fired up today. I like it. That's all right. One of us has to be from time to time. And at least we weren't fired up at one another today. So no, got that going for us. Cause I think we agree on this. I mean, what I came to the well, table here's with, what, here's what I, here's yeah. My final point on all of this is, and it sounds silly maybe, but none of this matters. Because you, you're right. You are facing an uphill battle. And I would think about it from the perspective of, so the only way this affects me is if I do the thing that, quote, they want me to do. 
yeah, you make a little less interest in your savings. I thought it was pretty funny. I got an email from Ally that's like, hey, our interest rate's 1.94%. It's pretty awesome. And I'm thinking, wasn't it yesterday 2.25%? I wouldn't send the email right after you changed it down to like let everybody know how awesome it is that just went down a quarter point. Like it seems like it seems like you should space that out a little bit. But you know, you have to use the information to better yourself. And and bettering yourself probably isn't trading because of the trade war. It's probably not buying a new car because interest rates are low and it's a good deal or whatever. It's you have to you have to go the other way. John Templeton, Sir John Templeton, made a fortune with the phrase, not with the phrase, but by following it, that if everybody looks left, he automatically would look right. That was his first thing. Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from CNBC. This is written by Lizzie Gertis. Another topic I'm fired up, OG, is this idea that active in, I know. This idea that active investing is dead. I have gone on record for a long time saying active investing isn't dead. It needs to change. We don't want Earl, who has a I feel bad for Earl. <laughs> it's like really the guy in <laughs> Illinois. We've got a friend of ours in the basement. <laughs> Moving out of Peoria. Who said, how come every time Joe and OG talk about people ripping people off, it's Larry the Lone Shark? Why is it Larry? And his name's Larry. He's like, why is it always Larry the Lone Shark? Yeah. It's because there's alliteration there, Larry. That's why. Sorry. Larry. But blame your parents, not us. But the face of active investing has often been and used to be this manager who, you know, might've had a bad tuna sandwich for lunch and goes crazy and buys some stuff that doesn't work out quite as well as he planned. That's, that's not the future of active investing. And you you see some phenomenal strategies in this area. Listen to this one. This ETF run by a robot is beating the market. Here's how it works. It's the age-old battle man versus machine. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are slowly seeping into every industry in the market, from manufacturing to healthcare to agriculture by way of tomato picking. AI has even taken hold in the world of investing, with Morgan Stanley using deep learning to test and finely tune its analysts' investment strategies. And now it's infiltrating the world of exchange-traded funds with a new product from Equibot, the AI-powered equity ETF. Ticker symbol is uh, AIEQ. By the way, this is not an endorsement of this product, just so you know. Up 19% so far this year when this was written versus 17% for the S&P at that time. It's powered by IBM Watson. Equibot co-founder and chief operating officer Art Amador told CNBC. The idea is to recognize patterns across management teams, across financial statements, across news and things like social media to identify trends that are occurring in the marketplace and to capture the companies that are going to appreciate the most over the next six to 12 months, he said. Are going to. Sounds very promissory, but go ahead. It does sound promissory, but I do think, I don't know about this strategy. I don't know if this is the winner. I do think, though, this idea of taking artificial intelligence and machine learning, and especially as more and more people index, this becomes more attractive to me. This becomes. Didn't we have a movie about this that starred Arnold Schwarzenegger? Something about the end of the world and John Connor. (laughs) We got to be careful about this stuff. You know, I I think it's. Did you immediately? Are you saying that immediately? Are you saying that if I put two thousand dollars in this index fund, all of a sudden, RoboCop's going to show up? Or the term? Oh, we got to get you out of here, Joe. We got to get you out of here. (laughs) Got to get you out of here. Why? Because you got to save the future. When you said, when you said, you know, AI 
thing. The first thing that I thought of was a pitch meeting. This is what's in my mind's eye, a pitch meeting, right? So I got all this. I'm sitting in a boardroom. I got this guy who created this, this thing. He's like, Hey, it's really awesome. And they're like, all right, let's test it. And here comes the computer. And it's really like a dude in a box that has like little, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> has like crayons drawn on it and he's on like beep boop bop boop bop beep boop bop boop I am a computer I say you should buy IBM I think no. that's Jim in a box oh no. <laughs> no, no 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 those are no. antennas that is the it's future like, isn't that tinfoil like nope those are straight up antennas <laughs> like something you'd see like in a 10th grade or a 10th grade <laughs> 10 year old 10 year old so yeah okay Good luck with that. I think this is where active, interesting thing. this is I mean, where active investing act- is headed. I don't think active investing is dead. I do think clearly it's it's dying, but you're seeing the revolution. Where is it going? It's not just based on what you said before about the whole. Well, I should diversify my index fund, like because the market went sideways for two days. Like people are replacing people, like you and me, individuals who buy index funds and then trade the hell out of them. That's true. Are replacing the really smart portfolio managers that they purportedly wanted to fire because they were too expensive. That's right. <laughs> who, you know, allegedly sucked. So it's, it didn't replace. It's not gone. It's just you fired the portfolio manager and hired yourself. Because I could day trade my own index fund. That's right. I yeah. don't need some yeah. manager on Wall Street with a background in that area to day trade it for me. Millions of dollars of assets under management and hundreds of people oh. in a real all building full of computers. You know, it is cynical day, to this. cynical day in the basement. Well, no, I mean, it really is. This was really happening. The, you know, you can just look at the data and see it. But but I agree. The thing that you can do to, you know, get better information. But this also proves the point, which is all information is already availably known. There used to be a time a long time ago when you needed a stockbroker because that person was like, listen, we get the earnings report for American Express before anyone else. Ergo, we can trade it faster. So you need to hire me for this. And that was true. Or there was a time where it was like, listen, our computers are faster than every other computer in the world. We have fiber optic, which is 10,000 times faster than anybody else's internet. So when Amazon releases their earnings report, we will get it faster and we will learn from it faster than anybody else. That's why you need to hire us. But now, all of that information is instantly available to everyone immediately across the entire world, all at the same time. So there's no such thing as like first mover advantage unless you're, you know, cheating the system, which some people have and got in trouble for. So that whole that whole thing around like, well, I'm faster or I can get this information quicker, it doesn't exist anymore. All of that information you can get, you can get it, I can get it, anybody listening to this can get it at any time. And why not, so, by the way, why not build a computer then? To sift it faster. That's right. But assume that everybody else has that same computer. Like the idea of like I can somehow be microscopically faster than you. None of that matters. What matters is, and it doesn't even matter if you beat the market or underperform the market. If you're, you know, if you're an active manager or a passive investor or passive or active uh, investor or passive investor, it doesn't matter. You have to get the return necessary to reach your goals. If you're an active investor and you get 17% a year and you're awesome, but you don't save enough money and you need a 20% a year, guess what? You still run out of money when you're 82. So congratulations, you're broke. You're broke faster and more magnificently than anyone else. So congratulations, you get a prize. If you're a passive investor and you don't save enough money, 
and you never trade a day in your life and all you do is dollar cost average in, but you don't save enough money. Also, you're broke at 82. You guys can sit in the park bench together and talk about different trading strategies that work. Fight over it. Yeah. Guess what? You're both feeding pigeons with popcorn. But if you like feeding pigeons. Used popcorn from the fair two weeks ago. That's, you know, that you're... (laughs) Sit at the park bench. Where is this analogy going? I don't know. Don't you don't you picture like you and I just sitting at the park bench going, active management's better, and I'm like passive, and you're like, we're we're both broke, so who gives it? <laughs> you know, we're throwing popcorn at the pigeons, in the park, obviously, someday in the future. But none of that really matters. You have to save enough money, and so yeah, cool. I'm an active manager, and I get 18 percent a year. Awesome for you. I'm I'm so proud, and so should everyone else be. But you're not saving enough money, so you're going to die penniless like the passive guy who also didn't save enough money. For those of you new to the show, that was the longest headline segment we've ever had. But it was good. It, it was. We had fun. That's all I care about. My favorite part was the part when you were talking. My favorite part was the part when you were talking. Thank you. Thank you. I, it took you long enough to like... Well, you're looking at me like, come on. Like I'm like, oh, pay. I'm supposed I'm, to say come something. On. No, OG, you don't look fat in those jeans. I'm not wearing any jeans. <laughs> I think the takeaways here are plentiful, but number one, the circus is just beginning in the political arena. Not my monkey, not my circus. Do not focus on that. Focus on you. What's your investment policy and stick to it? Whether you're worried about the election, the headlines, the current stock market, stick to it. And then second, Active investing, I still think there's more to come. There's more to come. It compliments. More to come. I generally do not like when I hear a host of a podcast just read a bio. However, my friend Carol Weissman has the most hilarious first paragraph of her bio that goes along with a very hilarious book. And I want to read the first paragraph, OG, from her bio. Carol began her professional career working with gangs, a marvelous background for working with boards. She found the gangs better organized with clear expectations and a solid leadership training program. Although she doesn't recommend any fundraising that would end in incarceration, the gang certainly had some creative ideas. That is Carol Weissman right there. Carol has spent her entire career helping people figure out how to build a legacy, working specifically with nonprofit boards to help them better interact with people uh, who want to leave a legacy and encouraging them to think broader than just about themselves. And man, Carol's got this new book out called Becoming One of the Grateful Dead, which goes over lots of stories of people who have been very creative in the way that they leave a legacy. Sometimes, even though they have family issues, sometimes even though they don't have much money today, but they really care about leaving an organization some money, or at the very least, making sure that the people they love in their life get the money that they want. This is Carol's 11th book, OG. And not only that, she's also won awards. She won an award for a PBS special, Building a Board with a Passion for Mission. She's a past winner of the CSPRC Nonprofit Professional of the Year. This, this woman is a dynamo. Let's say hello to Carol Weissman. 
And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend, Carol Weissman. How are you? I'm fabulous. Well, Great to meet your mom. <laughs> she is an incredible woman. And speaking of an incredible woman, any woman who can take estate planning and make it fun is somebody who's a friend of mine. <laughs> Let's actually just start from your background, because in your introduction, you talk about your relationship with your parents and about how they were very giving people. Tell me about your parents. My parents are very typical in that one was an immigrant from Germany and they started to give to relatives in Germany. Uh, and my father was conceived in Russia, born in the United States. A lot of their charitable gifts originally were for relatives. When the relatives got on their feet, many of whom also came to the United States, then they started giving charitably. And they really taught us that you give time and money. So they they both gave a lot of free services for people who didn't have money. Before we talk about estate planning per se, I want to talk about that, this idea of charitable giving, because back in the day when I was a financial planner, I would try to address this topic, Carol, and clients would say charity begins at home, right? So I want to, but you know what? The more charitable I became getting out into my community and working with my community, the better my home life was. Talk about that for a moment. Well, here's the question that one needs to ask is, what do you want to leave your children other than money? None of us want our children to be spoiled, miserable little brats. And the sense of entitlement is really common. Sharing your charitable intents and what you really care about makes your family closer. It makes you feel good. There's all kind of research about it lowers blood pressure. I don't think it'll cure cellulite. I mean, it's not going to do everything for you. But I mean, that's just my hope for the future. But in the meantime, it really brings a family together to discuss what they really care about. Well, and it's funny you say that because when I started looking to get charitably involved in my community, my problem was I didn't know what I cared about. And then I realized for me anyway, and I don't know if this is like this for a lot of people you've dealt with. For me, it was get involved first and the love of it will come later. Have you found that to be the case? Yes. I've been on the board, for instance, of the National Kidney Foundation. I don't know anybody with renal disease, but a friend asked me and she had renal disease and it was a whole world opened up to me about what was going on with transplants. And I learned all sorts of things. And then I got involved with the Friends of the Children's Eternal Rainforest in Costa Rica and went to the field stations. To say I'm not a scientist is an understatement, but I went with scientists and I really learned a lot and it totally changed my view of the world. I had that similar thing. I started off with the, with the arthritis foundation because my mom has arthritis And I found out all this stuff about juvenile arthritis I didn't know anything about and made me much more, even more passionate. I mean, like I said, I wasn't that passionate. Her arthritis is definitely controllable, but that made me super passionate about that. And then when we moved to Texas, we had no sidewalks by the schools. And uh, there was this group that was building safe routes to schools and walking paths. And and, uh, man, it was just, it was so, so, so fun. Uh, When we talk about estate planning, let's start off with the basics, a will. Does everybody need a will, Carol? No. And the people who don't need a will are folks who have $100,000 plus in student loans and a futon and no children. They don't need a will. 
That's the only group. <laughs> and so if you only have debt, no kids, and a futon, rest easy. You don't need a will. And when I say a will, it may be a trust. Yeah, so the, yeah. they're interchangeable terms. But if you trust the state you live in to make great decisions about who should raise your children and how your money is spent, then absolutely don't have a will or trust. And if you have an estate over a million dollars, depending on what state you live in, some of the states have a minimum fee of $26,000 to $42,000 that the attorney who you've never met gets paid up front. Yeah, that's a bill I think most people don't know anything about. No. So, yes, wills are not cheap, but they cost about the same as two sets of tires. And you wouldn't put that off. You just have your car on blocks. <laughs> not going anywhere fast. You're not going anywhere. But it's a few thousand dollars to save you twenty six to 42000 if you're wealthy. Well, and especially, I think, even if you're not wealthy, Carol, if you have children – just just the whole idea of deciding where your kids go instead of having a court decide where your kids go or having state law decide where your kids go, I think is a really important piece of the puzzle. Well, we asked our children when they were five and seven, if something happens to us, who would you like to live with? And most people don't consult their children at all. I'm one of four and my husband's the fourth of seven. So we have a lot of relatives. So we chose friends. <laughs> so we forgot about all the relatives. They chose their pediatrician, who's a dear friend of mine and her husband. We talked to them and we left a letter for them. Should we have died? My one son, the five-year-old said, are there any children who will come to us if their parents die? And we started listing them and it came out to be 11. And John burst into tears and said, we don't have room for all those children. <laughs> and I said, John, there's very small chance we'll get any of them. But you really need to involve the kids. And that was the first time they ever knew that parents could die. Yeah. That was a, it was a difficult conversation. No, it's like uh, Bambi in real life. Yes. Yeah. And we bring our kids who are now 39 and 41 to every single session with our estate planner and they hate it. They really don't like it. And I said, too bad, so sad. They were really smart though, because I asked them one time, do you want to be co-executors? One of them said, I don't want anything to do with the business aspect. And the other said, I'd be glad to do it. And I, I said to the first son, he'll be paid. And he said, he can be paid. I don't care. I don't want to do it. So instead of my making the decision, they made the decision. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it'll be easier whether they're screaming ding dong, the witch's dead, or they're <laughs> singing the blues. You never know. Uh, but it'll be easier. And I want it easier on my kids. No, that's great. We had an author Cameron Huddleston on recently talking about talking to your parents about their money. And it's difficult talking to your parents about their money. And so having parents like you that are involving kids already, well, not even already at their age, but they should be involved. You just don't see it happen as much as, as it should happen. And actually, that's a good transition, Carol, because in your book, uh, Becoming One of the Grateful Dead, you go through some wonderful examples of estate planning done right and a few examples of estate planning that probably could have been done better. But you open with a story 
that involves the kids and involves the kids making some decisions together. You call this Sam's story. If you don't mind, could you tell us Sam's story? I met Sam in Houston. He was a big guy who was kind of bent over, but he was barrel chested. They have this expression in Texas, big hat, no cattle. And I had a feeling this guy was big hat, has cattle, but I was wrong. (laughs) He had oil. At first he said all, A-W-L. I was trying to figure this out, but he had oil. Yeah. And he was extremely wealthy. We had dinner after the board retreat. He sat next to me and I asked him what his plans were. And we had talked about plan giving. And he said, I have six children. And so my will is divided by seven. And I said, why is it divided by seven? Yeah. Not to cut you off, but even as I was reading the book, Carol, when, when, when you got to that, he said by seven, I'm like, what the hell is this? I did financial planning for 16 years. I'm like, I, I don't, where's this going? I know it was crazy. You had to see this guy. He was such a character. He had on this pair of boots that were just fabulous looking. And he'd obviously had them for a long time. I said, those are fabulous boots. And he said, I shot this gator about 20 years ago and my wife had the purse to match it. It was a big gator. And I said, don't you have pay less? I mean, he's shooting his own boots. Make it his own. Anyway. <laughs> so what he said was that he had been a horrible parent. I thought that was an interesting admission. Not that many people will tell you that. He was probably late seventies, early eighties. He said, I pitted my children against one another. And if it hadn't been for my dear wife, who's now gone, it would have been so much worse. I had no idea what I was doing. And it turns out you can't fire a two-year-old. And I would just scream and that doesn't work. So eventually my kids stopped talking to me. I thought about all the children who didn't have what my children had. And I had actually been a seventh child I was raised in an orphanage. We didn't have a lot, but we shared. And I didn't transfer that to my children. So that's why I decided to divide the estate by seven. So my six children have to come together and decide what organization or organizations get that seventh share. And without that, they don't get a penny. So I thought it was pretty sneaky. There were a lot of reactions to it. I thought it was a really neat idea. One of my friends who was a therapist said he needs to practice this now Mm. and have a meeting with all the kids. Another friend of mine who had a very controlling father said, I'd rather have nothing than be controlled from the grave by my father. Yeah. And then a friend of mine who's been in recovery, who was an alcoholic or is an alcoholic in recovery, said he needs to do step eight. So I had to look up step eight. And that is to make amends and to change your behavior. So he took some advice and he actually did do a test run. And I don't know much more about it than that, but he did try to make a difference. I was going to say, what a great beginning though. Yes. He was the most fascinating man. And he was so honest about his shortcomings. He had made peace, but not atonement. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, you can tell there's a long way to go in that story, but what a fantastic beginning. And by the way, for your friend that talked about ruling beyond the grave, it's his money. If he wants his kids to get along before they get anything, so be it. I mean, how do you feel about that? I have mixed feelings about it because he had done a lot of damage and they had done a lot of damage to each other. Oh, 
And so if they thought it was healthy not to be involved with the family, then I understand if they wouldn't come to the meeting. But on the other hand, if he could do that before he died with a facilitator or a therapist or someone who is involved in money management, who knows how to work with families, then he could have made a lot of progress. And so that's what I think is important. Next up in the book, and we're just going to do a couple of these, obviously people, we don't have time for all of them because you have story after story here, but let's, let's tackle the woman, uh, the second story which is uh, Pam Vicario. Pam Pam played an interesting game, Carol, when she was a kid. This was her aunt. And for our listeners who are really old, like I am, there was a TV show in the 1950s called The Millionaire. And what happened is the millionaire sent his emissary out to give a million dollars to strangers. And they were frequently people who were in distressed situations. And then it told how this changed their life. So Pam and her aunt would play the millionaire and her aunt had an old checkbook and she'd write a check out for a million dollars and then she'd give it to Pam and she said, go give this out. Pam would leave her uncle's office and her aunt would go in the basement and put on a load of wash (laughs) or go into the kitchen and stir the pot. She would have Pam come back, who was four or five, and say, what had happened to the family? And so she would tell this long story about how the mom's husband came back from World War II and he didn't have any money and he didn't have a leg and they bought him a leg. The kids all got presents and they ate a lot of cake. <laughs> so, so she got that joy of giving even in her pretend, which I was is better just, than Barbie. I was just thinking that same thing, Carol. What a fantastic game for the aunt to play. What a phenomenal aunt. Yes, really. Plus she baked. Oh yeah. Well, that's right. (laughs) But Pam, as a grown up, has set up a foundation. She wanted to to set up a family foundation originally. And she came to me and said, I want to set up a family foundation. And I said, do you have 20 or 30 million? And she said, something a little smaller. And so you could use a donor advised fund at a community foundation to do this. Why do you say first? Because a lot of people don't know this. So let's bring people a little bit up to speed. Why did you say 20 or $30 million? That apparently is what you have to have to create a foundation. A family foundation is very expensive to maintain. There are a lot of tax laws. You have to set up all kinds of stuff. And it's just kind of a nightmare. And a lot of people who have family foundations are turning them into donor advised funds where you give the money and then you request it to be sent to specific charities. And then in the case of your death, you may name someone to make those decisions and And you don't have to do all the paperwork. And for a donor advised fund, do you put the money aside ahead of time or can you add to it as you go? How does that work? You can keep adding. What's, what's great about a donor advised fund is when you put the money in, let's say you get a huge bonus one year. If you put the money in, you get the tax deduction that year and you can give it out over the next three or four years. Yeah. So it has a lot of tax advantages. Very attractive stuff. But anyway, I did, I just wanted to get through some of the jargon that you and I know that maybe our listeners don't know. So you tell her probably set up a donor advised fund instead. Right. And so it's going to go, it, she's already had given her first gift and Pam was, went to a Catholic girl's school and it's in a marginal area, but it's an extremely good school. And Girls come from far away. And it was for a girl who was nice. 
And there are awards for girls who are smart. There are awards who are girls for girls who are athletes. But she wanted someone who exhibited kindness. She set up the award and they've had lunch together. The young woman got the money and Pam continues the relationship. So she's looking forward to next year. Boy, that's fun. And I like the fact, by the way, with this plan, a lot of people think when it comes to estate planning, this stuff is all when you pass away. And I feel like for Pam, she's getting this, uh, the great feeling herself of giving while she's still alive. Uh, yeah. And she beta tested the system to make sure it would work. And there were some flukes and they're going to do it differently next year. Uh. But also, let me tell you a short story. I was working with a woman and she's told me that in her will was money to set up a garden where her husband at the university they went to had first kissed her, had first told her he loved her and had proposed. And I said, why don't we share this with the university? And boy, were they glad because there was a building there now. So that would have been a big problem. Oops. If they had discovered that this was in the will, I said, when you think of that, what do you think of? And she said, I can't remember the the name of the plant that smells so good, but she told me about the plants and we took a, a golf cart all around the campus. And I said, why don't you do this now? And she said, I, I don't know. And I said, wouldn't you like to sit on that bench and think about him? Yeah. And watch others. And so she did it immediately so that another building wouldn't be built. She also endowed it in her will. So it would be taken care of. I've also found that a lot of people are surprised that, and don't get me wrong, you don't do this for perks for you. You do it for the organization. But when you do a lot of these things, when you're alive, there are a lot of perks that come back your way. Yeah. Um, uh, you, when you go to these charitable events, I'm always amazed by the number of people giving. And for some of them there, I truly do get the feeling they're giving to get, like they really enjoy the being recognized for the goodwill that they've created. One of our old family friends who were immigrants always, and they were very poor and became very, very wealthy. My father did not invest in his friend's company, which is why I'm still working today. But... (laughs) They gave $65 million to a university, and he wanted his name on everything. And the reason was he believed he was living the American dream, and he wanted to set an example for others that you give back to the country that welcomed you, that helped you become who you are. That's funny. Uh, Well, a short story that is a little different than that, but the same theme. When I lived in Texarkana, Texas for the last decade, There is a theater downtown called the Perot Theater. The person who told me about it said, well, this is, you know, Ross Perot is from Texarkana, the multimillionaire guy who ran for president. And this theater is one that he restored. And my first thought was how egotistical to stick your name on the theater. And then I heard the whole story, Carol. And the real story was was that the theater was in disrepair. It was a beautiful place in the old days in this town. And it really needed to be fixed up. It was showing dollar movies and the the whole place was wrecked. He bought it for not very much money, completely renovated it, donated it to the city, but he would only donate it. And this is a part I loved if they named it after his parents. 
And yes. I had heard it was the Perot Theater, and I thought he was egotistical. It's actually named after his mom and dad. <laughs> this is actually very common. And I remember I was doing a board retreat and training a group of animal lovers who trained dogs for the Wounded Warrior Project. I said, how many of you would like a room named after you? They were doing a new facility. And three people raised their hand out of 18. And I said, how many of you would like to name a room after one of your pets? And this woman burst into tears. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I had five dogs. (laughs) And the executive director was about to say, oh, you, and I looked at her like, no, (laughs) do not say you can put five names on. And she bought five rooms. Wow. Wow. So a lot of us are willing to honor someone we love rather than having our own name on it. Yeah. I thought I, I went from thinking he was very egotistical to thinking, oh, what a great guy. We're not going to have time to talk about the third chapter, but I do want to allude to it because I think it's a great place to go. And by the way, everybody, we've obviously talked about some large estates and some creative things that you can do, but estate planning isn't always about a lot of money. That's why I like starting with talking about if you have children, you definitely want to get your estate plan done, but it's something you want to think about. What I think a lot of people, not enough people, Carol, think about their legacy. What type of a legacy do you want to leave? And I know some people, even on their life insurance policy, as an example, they'll take a piece of their life insurance policy and instead of giving it all to their kids, maybe give 90% of their kids and include an organization that they love or something in their community that they're like, I don't see that enough. Well, one of the things that we did was in our will, we have two sons, they each get 40%. 10% goes to my nieces and nephews. And if they're listening, it's not that much money. So don't try and off me. <laughs> and the other 10% goes to charity. Four charities get 2% of our estate, but the fifth 2% is decided on by by grandsons. So currently they are five, eight and 11. I want them to choose something that has meaning for them so that they start to give charitably. Taking the best part of the page out of Sam's story. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. In chapter three, by the way, the one that we're not going to get to, and by the way, there's lots of chapters, but I do want to allude this because it's a great story about Michael who realizes he has something wrong. He's an athletic guy and he has something wrong with him. He tells his wife, he ends up having, uh, going to the ER, having emergency surgery and finds out that he has cancer. And on a night that he thinks might be the last night that he's alive, he's trying to deal with his estate plan. And I thought what's crazy about it is Michael is a financial planner. That's the word. Yeah. It's like the mechanic with the worst car in town. Yes. What happened was everything was completely set up except for it was only set up for him to know. So the key to a safety deposit box that he shared with his wife was in the safe at his office and she didn't have the number. So they spent the whole last night, which could have been his last night on earth, going over where everything was instead of being in each other's arms. Yeah, not what you want to do. I thought this was a wonderful read. The book is called Becoming One of the Grateful Dead, where there's a will, there's a way. There are so many jokes in, in that. Can you not make it funny when you're talking about people's death? I mean, it's just one of those topics that just lends itself to humor. And and by the way, just so everybody knows this story, this is a this is a funny story between you and I that I want to share is that 
when I wrote you to tell you that I wanted to talk to you about the wonderful book, and I said, I'd love to talk to you about The Grateful Dead, you wrote back and said, I just want to make sure you know this isn't talking about the band. Right. <laughs> well, not that many people read books before they interview one. <laughs> so, I, thought I didn't that, want to disappoint you or well, your listeners. That, that made me want to talk to you even more, Carol. Where can everybody get the book? Amazon. It's called Amazon.com. It's on the World Wide Web. Is that a thing? Do you think that's going to last? My husband does not think so, and he does not have an email address. But <laughs> he thinks it's just a passing fad. But we'll, we'll see. We will link to the book, by the way, if you're on your commute or walking the dog or whatever. We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Carol, thanks for taking a few minutes with us talking estate planning in the best possible way. I really enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I love all of Carol's talk about leaving a legacy. I know when I'm long gone from this podcast, I'll have made my mark on this show with this trivia question. Check it out. In estate planning, what is the difference between a contingent trustee and an executor? I'll be back with your answer in just a moment. Well, this episode of Stacking Benjamins is brought to you by Student Loan Hero. When you are looking at your plan for school or your child's plan for school, Student Loan Hero is your first resource. Student Loan Hero is uh, the sister company, by the way, of Magnify Money. And you'll see it set up very closely to the way that Magnify Money's set up, which is why we like them so much. There are tons of financial calculators there, like prepayment calculators, refinancing your debt calculators, all 20 of them you can look at at the Student Loan Hero site. Not only that, they will talk to you about programs like forgiveness programs, how to lower your payments, how to refinance your student loans, and some big questions. One of my favorite pieces on the Student Loan Hero site is 10 essential things to ask before refinancing your student loans. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to do it, and you want to work with a partner who knows what they're doing. And certainly, Student Loan Hero has all of those resources. So your first place for all things student loans, whether it's the loans themselves, the products to refinance, lower payments, forgiveness options, calculators, whatever it might be, head to Student Loan Hero for an education on financing your education. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, leaving my legacy right here. I know 25 years from now, you'll be laughing with friends saying, remember that incredible podcast stacking Benjamins? Man, that announcer guy, he just made the show. You're welcome, world. But before we start building statues to me, let's finish today's trivia, shall we? In honor of Carol Weissman being here, we asked this question. In estate planning, what is the difference between a contingent trustee and an executor? Your answer? An executor executes a will, making sure all the provisions you listed, including what happens to children and animals and assets, are followed. A contingent trustee comes into the picture if you have a trust acting if you aren't able, in most cases after you're dead, 
because trusts continue after you pass away. Someone still has to run it. And the contingent trustee comes in and follows your written wishes, which is why it's so important that you write down what you want. Look, the state already has a plan if you don't, but man, they struggle with roads and bridges. Imagine what they do to your estate. Get it done, folks. Tell them old Doug sent you. See ya. Big thanks to Carol. Man, this is an area, OG, that you strongly believe in. I love the idea of legacy planning. I love the idea of thinking about multiples and how compounding really can magnify your your giving, whether it's, you know, just to your family or to something that you care about. Well, and even this idea of the donor advised fund where you put money in, you get a nice tax break for yourself in a different way than taking on debt. Bam. <laughs> How about that? In in probably a better way. And you get to help somebody while you're alive. Like it doesn't always have to be when you, when you pass away, you can do some of this stuff now. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff coming with this. I think the changes to the tax law a couple of years ago, plus the pending changes to distribution planning for, you know, the required distributions and things like that. And the the new secure act that looks like it's going to pass, that's going to have a change to giving as well. And it's going to make a lot of these tools more attractive for different people for different reasons. I think this is an area that people think is so boring. So they skip over it and it is so fascinating. And like Carol and I talked about OG, just getting involved with some of these organizations, even if you don't care today, like you don't know what you're passionate about, get your hands dirty, get in the trench with any of these organizations that you think you might care about and it'll come. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Trust and durable powers of attorney, obviously. I thought thought you were going to say fed rate cuts and trade wars. (laughs) All that too. (laughs) All this stuff I can't control. Yes, uh, I like yours better than mine. Yeah, so your loved ones and your time is the answer right here in my script. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get a free quote immediately. And by the way, talking about immediately, if you've never been through the whole life insurance process, it can be painful and months long and Haven Life has worked very hard to make it very fast so that you get on with your life. Um, speaking of estate planning. Here's a piece, making sure your insurance is in order. Yep. And beneficiaries are right and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Today, we're actually going to take one of the last letters out of the mailbag here and call this our Haven Lifeline OG because this goes out to Ian and uh, some of these letters, they're getting a little old. So we're going to speed it up. Stale dated. Yes. Ian writes, but this is good for everybody. He said, before I knew what I was doing, I chose to buy a global markets mutual fund. I know more now and realize the mutual fund has a fee of over 1%. I'm down 11%. Do I hold on to it with the high fees? This is a really good question. Not related to the fee component, but let's say that, hey, I've got an investment. I'd like to make a change and I'm down a little bit. What should I do? If it's merely switching from that investment, in this case, switching from this global fund to that global fund, and the you know the the new one is similar but it's going to save you a few bucks i say you switch it it's the same allocation ostensibly it's the same you know your, your expectations in terms of where it fits in your portfolio are the same now i wouldn't be moving it just 
from global to U.S. large cap because you go, well, my global fund's down, but my large cap fund is up, so I'm going to put it there. That's market timing. Um, we don't get to control what the stock market does in any area. It just so happens that internationally, and I know this letter's a little old, so it might not be totally up to date in terms of where the position is now. But last year, international stocks did pretty bad compared to the U.S. I mean, U.S. did bad too, but the but the uh, but international markets were worse. So don't be switching from global equity to U.S. large cap because you go, well, that's the thing that's doing good. I want some of that. But if you're just switching alloc- if you're switching funds but not allocation because you came across a lower expense option that still fits in the portfolio, then that's a reasonable thing to do. Not nickel and diamond, by the way. Right? We're not going from 0.04 to 0.03. None of that matters. But from one to half, yeah, sure, go ahead. One of the first things that I do, and I didn't bring up the ticker symbol because I also don't want to talk about the fund. He put the ticker symbol in here. But the first thing I did, because really it doesn't matter, this is what you should do when you ask yourself this question too, is know what you have a little bit. So I went to Morningstar.com and I immediately see on the top that this fund is rated four stars on a scale of one to five by Morningstar. So that makes my ears perk up and go, oh, this is actually historically pretty well-run fun. Let's see more though, because I don't want to look, as you and I know, G, I don't just want to look at the star ranking. The star ranking is a cumulative effect of a lot of stuff. And it might have a good star ranking because it's low fee. It might have a good star ranking because the manager is adding what's called alpha, which means they have a history of beating the index while still taking a little less risk. It might have a low beta, which means it takes less risk than the index it competes against. It could be a lot of reasons. But I look at this. And I see the expense ratio is 1.1. But what's interesting is for this type of a fund OG, the fee level says below average. And you and I both know that when it comes to international investments, that the fee levels are higher than if it's just US-based domestic investments. Sure. That's number one. Now, that also is on the active side. You can do it passively and you'll cut the heck out of the fee. Do I want to do this? I go down and I look at the fund versus its category. By the way, this particular fund's category isn't just global. It is global mid-sized growth, meaning it's not going to invest in the huge companies very much, not investing in the little guys, medium-sized companies around the world. The fund is all over the map when it comes to it versus its category. So far this year, it's at about the halfway point. It's at the 55 percentile meaning 55% of the funds out there are beating it. Last year, it was at 77th percentile. Mm, a lot of funds beating it. The year before that was number one. Year before that, it was 29th. Year before that, number two. Year before that, 77. Year before that, number three. Which is really funny because y- you can see why that, why that does that, right? If you kind of, again, peel away the layers of the onion, you, f- you figure this out. You go, well, it was number three, so it made... M- Money Magazine's best blah, 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 list or whatever. Everybody went, oh, I don't have that. I'm going to go get it. Boom. Dump a whole bunch of cash in. Fund manager can't deploy it fast enough or, or in the right places where he or she wants to do it. So the performance suffers. Well, At the end of the year, people go, yeah. screw this. I'm out. Yeah. No, they but there's, out. there's also another reason though, OG, which is that remember, this is an actively managed fund. This fund has a huge alpha. When, when you go, you click on risk versus category. Risk versus category is huge. 
this fund manager is taking all kinds of risk, which means he's taking all kinds of risk. I mean, in this case, he, and it is a he, by the way, uh, for this particular fund, he sometimes is getting it right, but you know what else that means? He's sometimes getting it wrong. And over long periods of time, meaning five years, he's smoking the index over five years because two years ago, he beat it by over 25%. He beat it by 27%. Four years ago, he beat it by 15%. And six years ago, he beat it by almost 10%. So this dude has a history of smoking the index. And if you look at over three, five, 10, 15 years and since inception, he's beaten the index over, over the long period of time. This letter just talks about the fee, and I want to circle back. We swallow this fee garbage, which, by the way, is fine. It just doesn't make your fund better. It makes it cheaper. And is it an easy win? To OG's point, when he first answered the question, yep, it's an easy win. Lower your fee. But if this manager continues to do what this manager has done in the past, which there's no assurance that's going to happen. But if he does, you're going to make less money. But high five yourself because you paid a lot less money for it. Well, and, and the magnitude is just, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting. Of course, tomorrow's not promised to anybody, right? So we don't have any idea whether this fund manager is going to continue managing in this capacity. Certainly just because he's had success in the past doesn't mean that he'll have success in the future, right? Like none of, we, we understand that. But- Again, looking at Morningstar, I like the chart that shows the growth of $10,000 over the last decade. Do you see that on yours? Yeah. Where it goes from, okay, I put $10,000 in at the beginning of 20, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of 2009. Index makes it 30000 32000 Fantastic, right? You tripled your money over that period of time. This fund, like you said, because it's way more volatile, is at 47000 but it costs you an extra 400 bucks a year to get that. And that's your money, by the way. When they compare yeah, the money. Yeah, that, 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 that's, yeah that's net, right? That's like, your that's money. Net, 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 right? So, so yeah, it cost me an extra $400 a year, but and it's not even extra $400 a year. It's probably an extra $200 a year, but I beat it by 17000 What I love about this is we just went through the fund. We went through everything about the fund. Then I go look at what the analyst said from Morningstar. You know what Morningstar's analyst says? A successful but risky fund. Yes. That's <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what succinct. it is. That is exactly. But, but, but I like doing what we did first, OG, looking through it all ourselves, because we came up with that kind of same thing. But then he yeah. puts it succinctly. And then we go, okay, because of that, on a scale of one to five stars, where would you put it? Probably four. Put it four because of the risk level. That's that. That's what I do. I like the fund flow section here in Morningstar. You can see after 2017 when they were in the top percentile, you can see the next month, January of 18, their number one inflow month ever. <sighs> and then what happened in December of 18? Their number one fund outflow ever. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> crazy. You know, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Actually, it sucks. I'm out. Yeah. And this, this particular investor, the Ian that we're talking to here. Yeah. He's doing the same thing. Yeah. Doing the same thing. I'm down 11%. I'm overpaying in fees. If that's all the data points you have, go for the low fee. Yeah. But like you said, when we go through and do the math on this, um, maybe it fits. Maybe. Well, go back to your investment policy statement and say, 
is my investment policy all passive or is it active? What percentage of my money do I put in in mid-cap global? Thanks for the question, Ian. You've got a question for the show. Head to the Haven Lifeline, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. By the way, not only will you receive the greatest money show on earth shirt, OG, uh, Gertrude and I. I receive it. Gertrude and I cooking up some more fun for the Haven Lifeline coming. I'm just telling you, Haven Lifeline calls already a blast for us, but it's only going to get better. All right, that's going to do it for today. Two quick things. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this show. It is so gratifying to mom to know that, uh, for her to know that we spend all this time in the basement and there's actually somebody listening (laughs) on the other end. And also, if you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG for more on that. All right, that's going to do it for today. Tell us, Doug, what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Carol Weissman and get your estate plan done. Whether you write out a simple will or need a full trust or you think about your legacy, you'll be very happy when that's finished. Second, worried about politics? Focus on the things you can control. Not only will you be happier, you'll also make strides to improve your financial situation much, much faster. But the big lesson? Carol Weissman mentioned the Grateful Dead and gummy bears, and now the whole bridge club is upstairs eating gummy bears and rolling on the floor laughing. What is that all about? Gee, some people. Big thanks to Carol Weissman for stopping by. You'll find her book, Becoming One of the Grateful Dead, wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Just to uh, dovetail a little bit on the uh, estate planning thing, I found this book that I kind of like after you get done with uh, Carol's book. This one's a parable called The Ultimate Gift, written by Jim Stovall. Have you read this? No. 
I really like the parable books. You know, the ones that just kind of walk you through the whole story. Yeah. And they they learn you without learning you. I like the ones recently we've had with Laura Vanderkam, Juliet mm-hmm. School of Possibilities, and uh, David Bach, of yeah. course, with his Latte Factor book. So long and the short of it is, is that uh, this just walks through the settlement of an estate. So somebody passes away and uh, the lawyer has to help figure this out. And uh, much like in the example that she gave earlier about the family that didn't get along, it's kind of a same story. It's got the family who doesn't get along and how the how grandpa figures out how to make it work. And, um, and kind of a cool story. So how to help them do it. That's cool. Well, well it's not really. Yeah, 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 you'll read it. Like he just gives up on a couple of people, which is okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, Carol and I weighed in on this, uh, and usually, guys, we, we don't in the after show talk about finance, but obviously, on today's show, we're nerding out so much on these financial topics. Let's keep it going. You know, lots of thoughts about ruling from beyond the grave, so to speak. You know, uh, right. where do you come down on that? Carol's like, it's your money. I come down on it that there is no chance that I'm going to allow the next generation or generations of people to not benefit from the decades of learning that I have. And so to, to simply go, cool, here's your inheritance, go get them tiger. Like, why would I want to let them find out 20 years later that God, it was really stupid to buy a big giant house. The first one out of college. Like I already learned that lesson. (laughs) I don't need you to learn it. Yeah. You know, I always think my job as a father is to take the stuff that my dad did really well and do it and do the stuff that he did really poorly and never do it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and if every generation does that, you know, we'd end up with like, you know, superstars on the back end, which is great. So same thing with money. You know, I've done just about everything dumb with money you can think of. Why in the hell would I allow my kids to do that? And, and, you know, I'm not going to inherit any money from my parents or grandparents. So God forbid, I let them make mistakes with all of the stuff that I've accumulated. You know what I mean? Yeah. At this point. So I'm going to put those guardrails in there so that they can still live the life that I would have provided for them in my estimation anyway, but also put the guardrails in place that they can't screw it up. But do you Um, think that, do you think that uh, this is a nature finds a way kind of thing? I mean, uh, a lot of the reason for any success I've had in my life is because I messed this stuff up. No, I know. And, you know, the same story is true about the, you know, small businesses don't succeed the third generation because, you know, the blood, sweat and tears going into it is lost, you know, after that and all that sort of stuff. I get all that, but I'm still just not going to let it happen. You know what I mean? Like if I can, you can't stop it. Right. So we've got it in our estate plan built out so that the kids get like little bits over time, little bits as in a lot of bits, but you know, they still get it. But by the time they turn 40, if they haven't figured out by the time they're 40, they just get it. Yeah. And if they haven't figured out how to behave correctly with money by the time they're that age and they'd say, here's, you know, cool because my, dad left me all this money and it grew for 20 years and now I have a gazillion dollars, but I'm still going to blow it. Okay. Yeah. They can explain that to their kids. Yeah. Then. You can't protect for ever, but you can just yeah. put some, uh, put some, um, yeah, but like, speed it's just bumps. like, you know, put we were talking about some other stuff. Like when is, when are you most likely to make really stupid decisions? Highly emotionally charged times. Oh, so, sure. A, 
right after anything happens in your life professionally or, or personally, right? So I just graduated high school. I just graduated college. I just got my first job. I just got married. I just had a kid. These are all the times where you're likely to go, I've got other processing power going on. I only have so much juice, so I could make a bad decision. So let's protect against that. Let's yeah. go. You don't get the money when you get done with high school. You're not, you're, you know, I mean, even if you do any research into physiology, you understand like the synapses between cause and effect are still being formed until you're in your mid twenties. This is what I wonder about though. So I worked for a while on, uh, on a board when I was in Texas that helped build walking trails during that time, then I was in on a lot of discussions about urban planning. And what's interesting is in Seattle, they've experimented actually with some neighborhoods where they got rid of the sidewalks. And in fact, they just have kind of trees placed in spaces so that cars know where you can kind of park. But there's there's people walking and cars going through at the same time. And what they found was that because everybody's on high alert and there's and we've kind of taken the guardrails off and everybody's mixed up, that cars drive slower. Pedestrians feel free to walk wherever they want and accidents go through the floor. Right. Mm, Yeah. What we've also found out, by the way, with speed bumps on streets is that speed bumps don't work as well as we'd hoped because the average motorist, when they slow down for a speed bump, they try to make up that time between speed bumps by driving faster between them and then laying on the brake for the next one. Yeah. So, so speed bumps. Yeah. So, so here's my question. If you know that you're getting your inheritance over thirds, don't you feel a little more, free to screw up this one because you know there's more cash later well yeah i would say maybe that's the case if you knew that that was coming but that's another part of it i think there's a time and a place to let your kids know but if you left a 17 year old a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars both of those circumstances that is the almost all the money in the entire world to them there is it's not possible that anyone has more money than that in their mind that's also true when you say, hey, grandma left you 10000 P.S. What she doesn't know is that she's getting another 10000 in five years from now, right? If you treat it as though you are responsible for this, and, and one of the things that I think is really important in an estate plan uh, that an attorney told me a long time ago is you don't mandate distributions. You don't say, at 25, you get, we're going to distribute a third of this portfolio, because what does that sound like? It's just like required distributions out of your IRA. Oh, uh, how much do I have to take out of my IRA today? No, no, you don't have to. You don't have to take it out. You have to pay taxes on it. You don't have to spend it. You don't have to consume it. So we take the same approach. As much as I can influence this with clients as well, don't mandate the distribution. Don't say here's your third. Go get them, Tiger. You get to have access to the control of this portion of the trust. You are invited to make decisions on this money while there's still the guardrails of other trustees around with that component of it, like, okay, we can pay attention to how Johnny's making the decisions here. We can help with this component of that. If his decision is awesome, I got a hundred grand. Yes. I can get that Porsche that I've always wanted. Okay. <laughs> That's his choice, right? Cause he has control of that. But how does that influence the rest of those 
potential distributions down the line, you know? Which is kind of why I also like, uh, I like that idea, but I also like combining that with, uh, you know, Carol's first story where there's a portion of this money that's not for you. It's directed toward, toward legacy planning. And because then I think that junior realizes that maybe this is a little bigger than you. Maybe this is, maybe there's a bigger purpose here. So I like that idea of you're in control of this now and you're, you're in on the decision-making. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. Yeah. Complex topic. Uh, I'm glad we got to, glad we got to dive into this, man. In, in, in two weeks we've, we've had, uh, or we should stop now because we're ahead. Yeah. This week we've talked about long-term care and estate planning, (laughs) Bam! like checking, checking the boxes off. That's great. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 